0: Kia ora and uh, welcome to my podcast. I'm Bernard Hickey. This is a podcast for the Kaka, which is my email newsletter that goes out via Substack. I cover housing affordability, climate change and child poverty in Aotearoa with a focus on the political economy and in particular uh, what's happening with geopolitics, the global economy interest rates, house prices, emissions levels, all those sorts of things. Just in the last week, we've had a really big kerfuffle and assessment of what we did during COVID. And when I say what we did, I'm talking about the government and the Reserve Bank to bolster the economy. The Reserve Bank came out with a 122-page document, a review of its last five years of monetary policy, which it's required to do under legislation, along with two separate peer reviews by non-Reserve Bank people. These are two monetary policy experts from overseas. One was a policy board member for the Reserve Bank of Australia, Warwick McKibben, and Larry Shembri was a former Deputy Governor of the Bank of Canada. This has been a hot topic and hotly anticipated report from the Reserve Bank, in large part because the opposition back in late July called for an independent review of the Reserve Bank's operation of monetary policy along with the government during COVID, during 2020 and 2021. That's because obviously we saw a massive increase in house prices and now we've seen inflation rise over 7% when the Reserve Bank is tasked as an independently run Reserve Bank under the Reserve Bank Act to keep inflation between 1% and 3%. Well, actually, to run monetary policy with the aim of keeping it within 1% to 3%. doesn't actually force the Reserve Bank to quit or to sack its leaders if inflation goes outside that band. The only requirement is that it does everything it can with its forecasts to keep the official cash rate and use other tools to see that the forecast (laughs) for uh, inflation keeps within that 1-3% to band. And that's important because uh, the assumption that a lot of people might have, is if, if, the, if the Reserve Bank fails to hit its target of 1% to 3%, then someone should be held accountable. And that's what this kerfuffle is really all about. So, the report came out on Thursday, and there was a press conference which I attended and asked some questions of, and I've got the exchange In audio form later on in this podcast. Suffice to say that the review on the whole finds that the Reserve Bank did its job and that there were only a few things that the Reserve Bank might have done differently if it had known about all the things that were going to happen over the two and a half years since the outbreak of COVID. Uh, Let's go back a bit and just uh, reiterate what the Reserve Bank actually did In late March of 2020 when we were about to go into lockdown the Reserve Bank slashed the official cash rate from 0.75% to 0.25% and then it launched a program of what they call quantitative easing. Now this is where the Reserve Bank invents money and uses it to buy government bonds on the government bond markets, the so-called secondary markets. The aim of that is to drag down longer-term interest rates so that mortgage rates in particular uh, will fall and that financial markets remain stable. This was necessary in late March of 2020 because our bond markets and financial markets were in all sorts of strife. There was obviously a lot of fear about the future and we saw liquidity in the bond markets start to wobble and a blowout in bid ask spreads which is a sign of stress in in these financial markets and the Reserve Bank jumping in there to buy government bonds in that market certainly settled things down in the first few months. Initially the Reserve Bank said they were looking to buy 30 billion dollars worth of government bonds. That eventually escalated to first 60 billion and then 100 billion. By the time it had finished it had bought around about $55 billion worth of bonds. That puts us in the upper end of those uh, central banks in terms of how much they bought relative to the size of our GDP. Not as big as the United States, not nearly as big as Japan, but right up there. And it had a huge impact, in part because the Reserve Bank also pretty much at the same time a month or two later, uh, removed uh, restrictions on LVR ratios that have been in place since 2013. And uh, also, uh, eventually, uh, by the end of the year of 2020, had launched uh, a program of cheap lending to banks called the Funding for Lending Program, in which money was lent to banks at 0.25% for quite a long time and then the banks could lend that out in mortgages to people. What we saw through 2020 and 2021 was the housing market takeoff. House prices rose about 45 per cent by the end of 2021. And of course, contrary to what pretty much everyone expected, we didn't see a collapse in the economy or a surge in unemployment to over 10 per cent, in fact at some point some were suggesting 30 per cent. Instead, we had a very quick rebound through late 2020. And even though we were shut down for that summer in terms of no one could come in and out of the border much, um, the economy ticked along pretty nicely until, of course, the end of 2021 when the lockdown happened in Auckland and we saw a significant surge in COVID infections that went on through uh, this year, of course. And then, of course, in February 2022, Russia invaded Ukraine, which did awful things to energy prices. And so now we're in the position where inflation is running at 7% and people are genuinely asking questions, did the Reserve Bank do too much? Well, this this review by the Reserve Bank found it could have done a few things differently if it had perfect knowledge about what was going on. Firstly, says the Reserve Bank, it could have uh, wound down the money printing and stopped it earlier in 2021. It could also have started putting up interest rates earlier in 2021 than the October that it did. Although, to be fair to the Reserve Bank, um, it was one of the first central banks in the world to start tightening monetary policy in late 2021. And it also acknowledges that the funding for lending program wasn't quite flexible enough uh, for it to slow it down once it was clear that the economy was recovering. Remember, that program is actually still open, and as recently as a week or two ago, banks were still borrowing through it at very cheap rates. Well, not as cheap as the 0.25% that it was at uh, for the early part of 2021. And uh, we've also seen the Reserve Bank say, if it had known just quite how uh, effective the government's wage subsidy cash payments would have been, it might have had a slightly different view. But on the whole, the Reserve Bank said that even if it had perfect foresight, even if it knew about Vladimir Putin's plans to invade Ukraine, it couldn't have done much. Paul Conway, the chief economist of the Reserve Bank, said in the press conference, that to keep inflation between one and 3% now, the Reserve Bank 18 months ago, because remember there's a good 18 month lag between making decisions and getting the inflation result that you want. The Reserve Bank would have had to run the official cash rate at 7% in early 2020 to keep inflation down at about 2% now. And that would have been impossible, the Reserve Bank says. It it also says that uh, even if it had made the tweaks suggested, so slightly earlier into the money printing, earlier start to the rate hikes, uh, more flexibility on the funding for lending, that even then inflation would still be now around about 6% uh, uh, rather than the 7% we've got. So essentially the Reserve Bank is saying, we did pretty well, even if we'd had perfect foresight we wouldn't have ended up with much that was different. And if you really, really wanted us to um, stick to our target, we would have had to have run ruinously high interest rates in early 2020. And the implication, of course, then, is that lots of people would have lost their jobs, people would have been out of work, and that is probably true. However, I think that the review is not broad enough in its uh, understanding of where the Reserve Bank and the government together went wrong and the risks to the Reserve Bank's reputation, its social license with the public and in particular with those who were the big losers because of the actions of the Reserve Bank and the government through early 2020. Remember, an entire generation of people who maybe thought they had a chance Of getting their own home and being able to start their own family in a secure place to plan for their own retirements and to do it in Aotearoa that generation their hopes were broken in 2020 and 2021 when house prices rose 45 percent and now of course interest rates have surged the LVRs are back on and the prospects of being able to buy a house start a family not have to worry about being kicked out by a landlord, keep your kids in the same school, be warm and dry, are gone. Now that's um, that's awful. That has worsened an intergenerational wealth crime that's been committed for the last 20 years because governments of both parties refuse to tax the leveraged gains on residential land values refused to invest in the infrastructure needed to ensure that we had flexible land supply for housing, and then uh, in some parts engineered, allowed uh, interest rates to fall, certainly took advantage of the fall in interest rates, much of which came because of, for global reasons, so that as interest rates fell and as the population rose sharply because of decisions made by politicians to loosen the migration settings, we had a significant rise in house prices that created over a trillion dollars in wealth for those people who happened to be lucky enough to own residential land at that time. So the conditions for trust in an independently managed arm of government and the government itself were not good at the beginning of 2020. The actions taken in 2020 were under extreme stress and pressure, and understandably, the fear of an economic collapse saw the introduction of the money printing, the removal of the LVRs and the introduction of cheap lending for banks, which went straight into the housing market. Now you could argue, how were they to know that this was going to happen? Well. The complaint is that um, this happened because there was an inflexible supply of land in the housing market, so that uh, the normal market response to rising house prices is that you'd get an increase in supply and that there'd be an an equilibrium reached at a a much more reasonable level. The Reserve Bank and the government knew there was a tightness in uh, land supply for housing, it's been talked about for years, they knew that there was an inherent tax advantage for investment in residential land, and they knew that highly leveraged investment in residential land was the preference for those people with some spare cash for a deposit. So when they did these things in March of 2020, they did them with knowledge and foresight, and they did it knowing that this would increase house prices. Of course, I doubt they knew or expected that it would rise 45%, but now that it has, now is the time for the Reserve Bank and the government to honestly account for how that happened, why it happened, how they'll prevent it from happening again, and uh, essentially earning back the trust and the social licence that I think was lost during that period. So the Reserve Bank's review doesn't do that. It does exactly what it was told to on the tin, which is to review the Reserve Bank's operation of the Reserve Bank Act, the new Monetary Policy Committee, its new remit, and whether or not it achieved that aim, as I mentioned earlier, of doing everything it could to come up with a forecast of one to three percent inflation in the next couple of years, it did that. Uh, it argues that the war in Ukraine and the shocking events of 2020 with COVID meant that it could never have achieved that one to three percent without extraordinarily painful actions. That is all true and good, but that misses the point of not addressing the elephant in the room, which is that we have a housing market with bits tacked on for an economy, that a 30-year-long program of underinvestment in infrastructure, driven by a treasury approach to keep uh, government debt low and keep taxes low, uh, agreed to and enforced by politicians of both major parties and voted for by most voters who quite like the idea of unearned leveraged tax-free gains on residential land, especially the ones in the middle who are the beneficiaries of it. But what it's meant is that those people who aren't lucky enough to have parents who were who won the lottery of owning residential land in 2020 or or being lucky enough to get in at various points along the way, perhaps with the help of family, they are the ones who don't have faith anymore in Uh, the Reserve Bank and the government. That wasn't addressed in this review. And I think that's a mistake. Let's hear, though, from the Reserve Bank, from uh, Paul Conway, the Chief Economist, and Adrian Orr, the Reserve Bank Governor, who uh, defended the review and also answered my questions about the housing market and the removal of the LVRs and the Reserve Bank's social licence. And in particular uh, answered the question about the LVRs which wasn't addressed in the review which is that Adrian Orr said that in hindsight and he's not a fan of using hindsight but in hindsight he would not have removed those LVRs. Here's Adrian Orr and Paul Conway with Paul Conway talking first
1: Now, before I finish, I'd just like to go back to the the lesson learnt that, with the benefit of hindsight, monetary policy could have been tightened earlier in 2021. Uh, And I want to make the point that even if the Monetary Policy Committee uh, had tightened policy earlier in 2021, uh, we would still have inflation above target now. Uh, It would have most likely just been marginally below where it is currently. Uh, In fact... To to sort of highlight what I mean by that, um, to have inflation within the target band now, the Monetary Policy Committee would have had to have perfect foresight of the whole series of supply shocks that have rolled through the global economy these past few years, including, of course, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Uh, And they would have had to increase the OCR to almost 7% Uh, a couple of years back when New Zealand was in the thick of a global pandemic, uh, with all of the economic turmoil uh, that would have been unleashed by such an unrealistic decision. Uh, So this is clearly an implausible scenario. uh, And it would also have been inconsistent with uh, the the remit uh, of the Monetary Policy Committee had it even been possible, uh, which it obviously wasn't. So the point I want to make is we are a flexible inflation-targeting central bank. Uh, That means that inflation will not always be in the target band, uh, even in normal times. Uh, And the last few years have most definitely not been normal times. If if the Monetary Policy Committee had have had perfect foresight at that time, which it obviously didn't, it's obviously not possible uh, to have that, then monetary conditions would have been tighter. Uh, coming through 2021 than what they actually were. And I'm talking about monetary policies, uh, conditions. So I'm not talking about the OCR or the LSAP or the FLIP, the the actual instrument. I'm talking about the overall level uh, of monetary conditions. And and had monetary conditions been tighter uh, coming through 2021, if MPC had had perfect foresight, inflation would have been marginally below where it is now. It probably would have had a six in front of it instead of a, a seven. Bernard Hickey from interest.co.nz and the
0: Kaka, question for the Governor about the removal of the LVRs, and could you talk about uh, how that affected the outcomes in hindsight, and in hindsight, would you have removed them again?
2: Um, so the removal was was done pre uh, was done in to ensure that all of the additional monetary policy work we were doing was able to operate through all possible economic channels. That was, you know, to open up emergency-type activities we were doing, we didn't want to trip ourselves up through our own regulatory barriers. Um, very early on, as you can see, um, we saw that the housing market was, uh, had found, refound its mojo very quickly, and so the LVRs went back on. So it was a short period, one in which we were positively surprised that um, you know, that uh, activity was happening and so the LVRs went back on. Throughout that entire period the quality, um, I'd say the robustness of banks' balance sheets Improved their mortgage balance sheets were actually improving throughout around loan to value ratios. So, um, you know, neither here nor there. Um, the hindsight question, uh, I don't, I don't really want to answer that because it's it, you know, in hindsight, it was unnecessary to have removed them, in foresight, we removed them out of caution.
0: And- And uh, for the Governor, again, uh, quantitative easing has been criticised around the world for uh, increasing asset values and having an effect on wealth distribution across societies. Uh, What um, role, if any, uh, did your consideration of the effect on any wealth distribution have in your thinking in the last couple of
2: years. Thank you Bernard. We chatted a bit earlier around it's the level of monetary conditions not the particular instrument that determines what then happens around relative um, demand, supply and chase. So I, I know that it's correlation leads everyone to uh, look at quantitative easing, it's the level of monetary conditions that created all of the different relative price etc behaviours, not the instrument. Uh, In our case, to be even more confident around the instrument is the fact that we only bought government bonds from the secondary market. Uh, we didn't go and buy other asset classes, and um, and uh, we weren't doing it directly from government. So some of the extra concern around whether uh, around quantitative easing and distortion on. It, um, on the allocation of capital um, doesn't stand for New Zealand because of the narrow means by which we used it. As for um, the distribution of costs and benefits, that is a perennial challenge for monetary policy. Mm. Um, we, We can only operate at the aggregate. We can't say winners, losers. Um, When you look across it, there's borrowers, lenders, first home buyers, owner-occupied dwellers, rented, such a vast array, um, importers, exporters, so on and so forth. We have written extensively and will continue to write extensively around what our actions imply, um, but in the absence of... Um, tools. It's about alerting other policymakers and and individuals themselves around the potential benefits and hazards of these tools. It sort of cuts to the fact burner that monetary policy is a, a blunt instrument.
0: There's been a lot of chat about social licence and the banking industry. Um, To the Governor, do you think that the Reserve Bank retains its social licence in the wake of the last two and a half years?
2: The Reserve Bank. Uh, We have our legislation, our mandate. We will continue to operate. Um, I think it's times like this. It shows the importance of the operational independence of central banks to continue to get on and do their job. And this document says that's exactly what we've done.
0: So there we have it, Adrian Orr talking at the news conference after the release of its review of the last five years of monetary policy, and him saying that it's important the Reserve Bank remain independent. Separately in that news conference, uh, questions were put to Adrian Orr and to Neil Quigley, the chair of the Reserve Bank, about the criticisms from the opposition, uh, both the national spokesperson for finance Nicola Willis and the ACT Party leader David Seymour, in particular Nicola Willis calling for an independent review and opposing the um, reappointment for another five years of Adrian Orr from March of next year to March of 2028, arguing that uh, they questioned the um, operation of monetary policy during that time. Uh, David Seymour has been much more critical personally of. Adrian Orr. Adrian Orr did not respond to those criticisms in the news conference, but rejected the criticism by Nicola Willis that this was a back-patting exercise and that um, uh, it should have allowed a full independent review. We heard from the Chair, Neil Quigley, that uh, he didn't think an independent review was necessary, but if that one was done the Reserve Bank would cooperate. Nicola Willis uh, told me in an interview, which uh, went out as the uh, When the Facts Change podcast uh, today, that uh, if elected, National would immediately have an independent review of monetary policy and then make a call then about whether to retain Adrian Orr. Uh, That is a dangerous situation. If there happens to be some sort of um, economic crisis in the middle of all that, You've essentially got a finance minister who clearly doesn't have full confidence in their Reserve Bank governor and the potential for a clash between an independent arm of government and the government itself. Uh, That's uh, dangerous in its own right. And so we have now, because of the actions of the Reserve Bank, because the Reserve Bank has not um, acknowledged the criticisms or responded to them. in a way that satisfies the critics we now have a situation where the government has appointed a reserve bank governor who the opposition clearly opposes that's the first time we've had that in our history and it i think challenges the long-term future of the reserve bank as a truly independent bank Now, this isn't unusual around the world. Central banks are being criticised for the outbreak of inflation. Ironically, uh, not so much the um, excessive expansion in asset prices. Uh, However, um, there are debates all over the world now about whether or not reserve banks should remain independent. And it's important uh, for all sorts of reasons, in part because we invented the idea of an independent central bank targeting inflation. And uh, it all made sense when there was a simple lever, the official cash rate, and interest rates were at sensible levels, and there wasn't such a thing as a effective lower bound, i.e. where you get interest rates so low that you can't actually achieve much as a central bank anymore. Uh, and once we got there, uh, central banks uh, got, on, got into the game of uh, um, effectively quantitative easing money printing, which in effect, Uh, was using the increase increasing the wealth of the wealthy to run monetary policy and uh, that that strays into the area in a much more uh, definite and deliberate way than uh, previous just simple use of an official cash rate and it strays into an area of effectively wealth distribution and social policy which um, has to be challenged. The unfortunate thing in my view is that the Reserve Bank of course didn't have time to ask for permission to do all these extraordinary things and neither did the government but after the fact it should have at least asked for forgiveness. There's that phrase used in tech by the likes of Facebook and Uber, don't ask for permission just ask for forgiveness. The idea being that you shouldn't wait for an official to say you should do something you should do it and then after the fact apologize for it in the meantime you've actually done it uh, that's that's the problem here the reserve bank has eroded in a large way its social license and needs to recover it and i don't think this review does that and the proof Of that loss of social license is not only that the opposition doesn't want the Reserve Bank governor to be in his job but also just quietly page 99 of the review the Reserve Bank did a survey of a thousand members of the public and asked them if they believed the Reserve Bank would get inflation back down into the target band by 2024 none of them did there is a trust problem there I'm Bernard Hickey that is my daily email uh, that goes out with my email newsletter to paying subscribers on the kaka, and I've decided to open this one up in the public interest, uh, given um, how important wealth, house prices, and the future of our monetary policy
2: are in our political economy. Kaki kite anō.